0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I am so excited to be back here with you this week. We took last week off, which I'm not going to lie, I'm always a little sad when I take episode weeks off, but it was much needed after the launch of Magnetic AF, as well as the finishing of the Wellness Fest in our one year anniversary celebration. So it felt like divine timing, to take a week off. And I'm just glad to be back here again with you. <laughs> I am really excited for today's guest. It's Asha Boer, Dr. Asha Boer. And we have just a fascinating discussion. Actually, during the entire recording, my head was just like nodding the whole time. <laughs> I've never... Done that before, but I was literally just like, yep, 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 yep. Everything you're saying is so good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, um, her big topic that we're gonna talk about today is leadership and practicing embodiment for leaders. And this just brought up so many interesting topics, including manufactured emotions. She and actually did kind of a pre-recording interview, interview, and she brought this up. During our first conversation and ever since then I've just been like pondering like what are manufactured emotions and – how do I know that they're there? So we get into the episode on like how to parse the difference between a real emotion out and manufactured emotions and really just sitting and noticing, getting curious on the stories that we're making meaning out of in our lives. And oh man, it's just like back to the basics and it's so good. And it's just funny to me how the basics are like, the hardest thing. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they're too simple. But sometimes in wellness, I feel like we're like, let's put this like really extremely difficult framework on top of wellness. And I have to learn every single detail about it to master it before I can attain you know, freedom or calm or clarity, whatever it is. But this is like, no, notice just what's going on. Have a journal practice. Ugh, I mean, these are my favorite things. And they're so hard. They can be so hard to keep up with. Um, and then she has a really fun giveaway at the end. So definitely stick around because she's got some free tips and tools that she is giving us, which is so fun. So for today, I am really excited to talk about periods for my check-in. And I was just you know, doing some more research for a guest that is going to be coming on in the show. Her name is Abby Miller, and she was talking about – I heard her on another podcast talking about cycle syncing. And this is a method of looking at our cycles, our menstruation cycles, as a, a circadian rhythm. I just love this. So when I first heard about cycle syncing, I was on hormonal birth control. I had a Marina IUD. And I decided almost a year ago, not quite, about 10 months ago to remove the IUD and to go back to just family planning, natural birth control. Ended up getting pregnant, then I miscarried. That's a whole other story slash other podcast that you can find in the library of Lit AF Podcast. Point of this story is, as an adult, a 35-year-old woman, I am loving my period, which is like kind of something that I never thought I was going to say. When I was on the Marina, uh, Marina IUD, I never got my period. Now that I've got my period and I'm a little bit more synced in with what's going on in my body, with my luteal phase, my ovulation phase, the other phase that I forget the name of, and then the menstruation phase, I just feel like more in touch with my gifts. And when I say gifts, what I really mean is like more in touch with like my energy levels and knowing like, okay, I'm menstruating, it's time to rest and like it's okay to rest And then when I'm ovulating, it is like magic time. It is, I mean, it's recommended to like, you know, that's when you should be doing all all of your presentations and like being in the public eye or whatever. It To me, it's like, that is like manifestation palooza. Like things come to me without me even thinking about it. I'm just like, yep, mm mm-hmm, yep, I do want that free gift, yep. I do want um, to hang out with you. Thank you so much for reaching out out of the blue and making plans so that I don't even have to lift a finger. I just have to show up. It's just amazing. And I am like trying to s- also sync my diet with my cycle. That's kind of next level. I'm not worrying about it too, too much. But I am using the nutrition course that Dr. Renee Hubka shared just a couple. She was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. This course is fire. Like, I am just focusing on eating nutrient-dense foods as much as possible. And then when I'm not eating them, I, like, don't give two fucks. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that wasn't a healthy meal. I don't need to, like, guilt and shame myself over it. I can just move on to the next nutrient-dense meal. So this means that I'm, like, eating boiled eggs for breakfast. Never done that before. I'm having asparagus for breakfast. Never done that before. I am, like, eating a pound of broccoli for lunch every day. I'm reaching for fruits as snacks. And I'm not losing any weight, people. Like, this isn't like, oh, my God, I am I feel, like, so good and I'm so thin. No. It's like I just feel like I'm fueling my body in a way that it's so nourishing. And it's helping me get through, like, these incredible things that I've been doing, which is a launch for a membership, a hosting a wellness event, multi-day wellness event. And that's, like, it's a lot. So – really grateful for all of that. And I am just wanting to share that with everyone because this is like food is, I guess it's like my next kind of wellness thing to like research and go through and like I feel like each step of my wellness journey is really just getting curious about certain things, whether that's my spirituality or my brain and my thoughts and now the food that I'm putting into my body. So super fun stuff. Yay, periods. Can Again, I just cannot believe that I am saying that. And my Diva Cup cheers is your Diva Cup in the astral plane projection uh, that we are all a part of divine life. That didn't make sense, but I loved it, and I feel like you've got it. <laughs> okay, so I have one quick announcement before I get moving with Dr. Asha Boer, and that is that I'm hosting – it's June. It is already June. Can you fucking believe it? You guys, this year is going by so fast. I actually cried last night to my husband because he told me he was going to be doing our laundry today, And I, in that moment, was like, I just did laundry and I felt like it was yesterday, but really I had done laundry the week before. And just the fact that time is, like, moving by so fast. Like, I also watched the um, Netflix show Selena, which I fucking love. Anyway, point being, time's moving really fast. It's already June. We need to look at our goals for this year. So I'm hosting a mid-year goal-setting workshop It is an encore presentation of the goal-setting workshop that I um, hosted back in January. This workshop is so fun. It is time that you set aside to actually review, or some of you will actually just be setting new goals for 2021. It is not too late to get shit done in 2021, okay? Why do we set goals? We set goals so that we are communicating with the universe that we want to achieve these things. We have them in the back of our minds so they're kind of just always in the back of my mind like, okay, maybe I want to buy that house. Maybe it's time to get that new car. Maybe it's time to set aside that money and savings. Or maybe it's time that I truly become hashtag unbothered. So many different goals that we have. Bring them all. The workshop is going to be on June 16th. It's going to be from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Sign up. Come as you are. Don't worry if you don't have goals set already. This is just such a magical space to set goals with other people and community. And I will be sharing some awesome, awesome, awesome tools for you to unblock your subconscious so that you actually get these goals that you want to have, right? Because we all we all have desires. And then our funky little subconscious that's just trying to keep us safe has some other plans for you. So we got to unblock our subconscious. I'm going to do some really fun exercises on this, and then um, we'll all cycle together. And I just want to read you a review from the January workshop because it truly was magic. Leanna Revere said... This workshop was very helpful in setting goals. Not only do we talk about what we want to create for ourselves, Sarah also gave us some great tools to use in our everyday lives to help bring these goals into reality. So I want you to learn these tools. I want you to make 2021 your year. It is not too late. Sign up for this workshop. It's super fun. If you sign up for this workshop, then you know that you're already making time for yourself for these goals. That's what I see time and time again is people just don't make time for it. So make time by booking this workshop. And if you want to sign up, the address to join or to learn more about it is sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com slash workshops, plural workshops. I really hope to see you there. I, I want to know what you're trying to manifest this year. I want you to learn these tools. It's going to be so, so, so fun. All right, that is it for my announcement. And so without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hello everyone. I'm so excited today to welcome Dr. Asha Boer. Dr. Asha Boer is a clinical psychologist, leadership coach, and digital health consultant. In her work, she is dedicated to helping high-performing professionals and entrepreneurs to lead with intention and grit and to cultivate value-driven lives and careers. Her research has focused on mindfulness, trauma, resilience, and technology as a force for social good. Asha is currently the director of clinical care at BetterUp and serves as an advisor to mission-driven digital health startups. I'm so excited for you to be here. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Sarah, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be here with you. Yeah.
0: Today. Oh my gosh, I'm just like so excited to talk more about your experience and your work and like your focus of work cuz I feel like you just have so much wisdom to share. So I'm really excited for you to be here. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> That's how yeah. excited I am. <laughs> let's let's nerd out today. Woo-hoo. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> be amazing. So you really do focus on embodied leadership, and I would love to talk about and I just want to frame the conversation. You, you, we are talking here in the Bay Area, a very special community, I will say, full of startup leaders, startup companies, this fast-paced startup environment, a lot of invest now, and then it'll grow to get big, and like s- forefront of technology, things are like shifting, changing rapidly. It's a really interesting community to be around and to live in, to live and breathe in. And so I feel like this topic of embodied leadership is like a really special topic specific to like our geographic location. So I'm really curious in your experience, what are challenges that leaders face and how are these challenges affecting leaders today?
1: Yeah. I mean, bringing up the, just talking about the Bay Area just now made me exhausted, just like listening
0: (laughs) to it. (laughs) Burnout. That should just be
1: the name of the city. There's just go burnout. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, I, I think framing all of this too, with what is a leader might be helpful here because I think definitely, of course, people founding companies are leaders, but leaders are anyone who is leading something, a team, a company, their own company, Their children. Um, This, I think, parents are definitely leaders. Educators are leaders. Activists are leaders. And so, I want to kind of frame what leadership is in the first place, because um, I sometimes we think, oh, I'm not a leader because I'm not a CEO, right? But anyone who is leading something, a project, a group, a human being that they're raising in the world—these are all forms of leadership. When I think back to how I got into leadership coaching, and then being sort of more of a thought leader in the space around this it really came back to, in part, partially my own life, and seeing how I was in environments where, you know, technically, I'm a psychologist, I study resilience, and well being and mindfulness. And yet, the environments I was in, in the academic leadership space were areas where people did work until they pass out environments, right? Like, the burnout of academia is just absolutely terrifying to witness. And so that was definitely the first place I saw this was this the hilarity of I have this memory of when I realized, oh, I need to do something different, where I'm writing my dissertation on mindfulness and how mindfulness relates to well-being and striving and radical acceptance. Like I'm writing this whole theoretical model on on mindfulness while drinking Red Bulls at three
0: in the morning. <laughs> I can't even imagine you drinking a Red Bull. This is hilarious. This is a previous chapter of my life. And having this meta
1: thought around how is this that I'm working towards being a thought leader in this space while not doing that at all in my own life? And starting to look around me and see that that was the case elsewhere too. And so it really kind of pivoted me towards what would be another way to lead, right? What would be another way to lead in my own life? What if I was radically throughout all of the rules that I think I need to follow to be successful around hustling, around scheduling, around time boxing, around, you know, all of these like five step strategies, whether I'm launching a career, launching a company, leading a team, there's all of these stories around how we're supposed to do that. And I think leaders today, as you were mentioning, they're up against this collective story of what this needs to look like. And certainly if anyone is in the startup space, take a deep breath because in that space in particular, there's this collective story around, first we have to hustle, we have to get money, we have to think about the next step, the next step. Someday we'll breathe, someday we'll sleep, but it won't be today and who knows when it will be. And they set that up as, This is the culture of work that I'm forming a foundation for with this house. And then when they build the house, it's built on that. And so it doesn't end up stopping. You just continue to be in this constant state of being on the brink of physical and emotional exhaustion and burnout. And so unfortunately, we see things like high rates of suicide in startup founders. We see people experiencing incredible amounts of distress and mental health crises because they built their house on a foundation of burnout. They built their house on a foundation of, of constant hustle and pressure. This is something that it, it breaks my heart, quite honestly. And so I thought to myself, well, what if we threw out the rule book and we thought about this differently? And that's where the concept of bringing in more embodiment into being a leader kind of came in. So embodiment being what if instead of only listening to our head, and those five-step strategies and those rules and those this thing, then that thing, cognitive approaches to um, being successful. What if instead we started with our body? Like, what if instead we started with our intuition, the small signals that happen within us every single day? What might be different if we started there? And it's it's a radical shift. I think it's one that we it's hard to do overnight. um, But I really believe in it. And so a, a lot of my my own personal mission, the work I do with companies and with founders, is around helping them to reconnect to that wealth. Of, of emotional wisdom that exists within them that not only will help them not burn out, but will actually help them in the long run, be more successful, be better leaders, be better managers, be more present. And actually maybe, you know, I can enjoy their life, right? Like while they're building their business or like, what? <laughs> like, could they maybe enjoy it? Do they, maybe? Um, so yeah, so that, that's been a big part of this is sort of, sort of really, really encouraging people to take a pause and think about why you're doing all of this in the first place for, and, and maybe, maybe cracking a door open to possibility of a different way, a different way of working, a different way of living.
0: Wow. I love that. I just keep thinking of, um, This is really old school, but I just finished listening to the startup podcast, which is the creators of Gimlet Media. Did you listen to that? For us, it's, it's like so in old. the dust, in a dusty archives. Yeah, 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 yeah. A yeah, yeah. long time ago. For some reason, I just found out about it <laughs> because um, because of this podcast. Like, I'm launching my own podcast, and it's just listening to him record at night. He's like waking up at 4 a.m., remembering like titles of the company name that he just had a dream about, and then he gets up to like record his voice and like t- like m- remember the name that he just like fantasized about in his mind, and then he just starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good show because he really does document, like, the actual real struggle of it and, like, how much is on the line. He interviews his wife about how much she is living this reality of him, like, not co-parenting with her anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when she does see him, he's just, like, stressed about work, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just – it's an interesting portrait of how the reality of this is that, like, you should be enjoying it, like you're saying, like, the, the whole time. But – yeah it's hard to remember that.
1: And and this it brings up sort of a myth for me and around, and it, this is a delicate balance, even as I say this, because you sharing that story, I think there is power in sharing our stories of burnout and struggle with each other. We, um, we, we can normalize the experience, validate the experience by sharing that story. I think sharing those stories of this is how I burnt out do not mean that this is a necessary necessary process. And so I think that's actually become built into the model of entrepreneurship that we see kind of pervasive in society today that, burnout is a necessary step on the way to your success, that there there must be a dark night of the soul in this process. And and so we almost make it heroic that we go through this process of nearly losing our our families or our lives in the process of building this thing, where I think we really need to question that, you know, is that it is a powerful story, but it's more of a warning. (laughs) It's more of a, maybe let's not, maybe don't do this rather than I did this and got to the other side and you can too, right? So I think we need to kind of think when we hear these stories to not make it seem like, oh, this is just part of it. Because I I don't believe it needs to be part of it. I do believe our bodies are built with incredible, Incredible amounts of wisdom and, and ability to cue us to make these tiny tweaks and changes every single step of the way where that burnout is no longer necessary. That point of total exhaustion is no longer something that you wear as a badge of honor on the other side of you know, building something, because really, what is success, if you get to the other side of it, and you're too exhausted to celebrate what even happened? Is that success? I would, I would argue, I mean, to me, it's not right, because I want to actually celebrate my life. (laughs) And if I'm too tired to do it, then it's not really success. So yeah, I think it's worth really questioning when we hear those stories of like, hmm, does that mean that I need to do it that way, too?
0: I love that. I love that. That's such inspiration. So when you were working (laughs) till 3am drinking Red Bulls, I'm still like getting over this image of you. (laughs) Like what did actually embodying mindfulness mean to you? For me, it was really about what if
1: when I woke up in the morning before the to-do list, the thing I prioritized first was what my body was asking for. What if I just started that way? So that's where it started. You know, I always had one foot in both realms, I kind of say I have like a, like a foot in like Western behavioral science and a foot like in kind of like the woo dabbling kind of yoga world. And I've always been sort of straddling these two worlds. And I was getting my yoga certification up. So I'd be, you know, like studying the chakra system. And then Studying a theoretical model of, of you know, resilience. So it was, it was a bit of both. And, you know, I started to say, like, what, what if I just started there? And it really kind of brought me into sort of the study of flow, which is sort of the study of how do we tap into deep states of concentration and rapture? Because flow is like a blissful state of productivity versus the pressure version of productivity, which is the one I think we think of when we think of that word. So when I started to wake up in the morning and say, well, what does my body need? Sometimes what it needed was to go outside and be in nature, or it needed to sit down and, and breathe for 20 minutes. You know, I just needed to just be in my body, drink a cup of tea really slowly. When I started by doing that, and without rules, because what can happen then when you start to do this is then what is the five-step process to a morning routine, mm-hmm. right? You go right back into the cognitive model, right? <laughs> yep. So, I mean, just so fast. And just watch yourself do that. And, you know, as soon as you start to get into personal development in any format, it, that it takes hold that way. And you can turn that into a to-do list as well, which then backfires, right? So that was the practice is what if I could just stay in my body just for a little bit and see what it says. And what I found was that it naturally started to guide me towards these moments of, deep energy where I could fall into my work and get so much more work done in one hour than I was getting done in three weeks of time because I was actually listening to my body and when my body is feeling most optimized, when I am... I'm feeling most inspired. I was catching the ideas instead of hunting for them because I was paying attention. And so that's really what embodiment means to me is sort of the deep practice of being inside of your body and listening for the cues, these small emotional cues. Sometimes they can be as little as this tiny, tiny bit of restlessness. And if you feel it, you go, if I keep working right now without a break, this will spiral. So I feel this. I'm going to respond to this lovingly. And it can even just be five minutes. You sit back down and you're deep into focus again. But what people will sometimes do is say, no, because the timer says 20 more minutes. So I'm going to keep going and not listen to the signal. And what happens when you do that is the signal gets stronger right? And then the signal is loud. And now it's yelling at you. Now you really can't focus, right? So these practices of just paying attention and being willing, even just for one minute to listen, and to just non judgmentally say everything happening in my body is happening for a reason. And that's like the biggest, most radical piece of this, because I think sometimes we are trying to fix our body, right? Like, I'm feeling anxiety, fear, sadness, insecurity, jealousy. This means something is wrong that I need to fix. And of course, we're going to be less willing to listen to something if we think that thing is disciplining us or that thing that we're feeling is um, some sort of broken part of us that needs fixing. So in order to do this well, I needed to say radically, every single feeling I have in my body is meant to be here and is welcome here. And is wise, and I'm going to listen to all of it, but I'm going to listen to it with my heart and not with my head, not with the stories I have around what it means to feel fear or what it means to feel anxiety. I'm going to listen to it from a more loving place, um, and then I found that often that little bit of anxiety was just saying, "You need to go for a walk for five minutes, not that you're failing as a person at your dissertation or whatever." <laughs> you know, like the stories that can be built up around that. Because we respond to anxiety with like, oh, no, this must mean everyone is better than me as a human being. And it's like, well, actually, it might mean you just need to go for a walk. (laughs) I love Um, that. (laughs) So so I think that's what I try to convey to people is that I think we have this idea that that these emotions are kind of out to get us, this like boogeyman kind of belief around emotion, when actually our emotions are just loving servants.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And just sick they're just signals. It's not <laughs> it's the stories attached to them that are like <laughs> the unhealthy things. It's it's the yes. signal that's the important thing. Oh I, I love that. I am curious what has helped you to kind of break that pattern of I'm not attaching stories to those emotions and even just allowing all emotions to exist within you. When
1: I, when I started to to really do this and, and I do this now with, with clients, with businesses that I'm working with, if we start with just curiosity of saying, okay, maybe I'm not willing to let go of my p- perhaps limiting beliefs around emotion long-term, but I'm going to be willing to be curious and just give, give yourself a window, right? Like, I'm willing to be curious for today around emotions that come up. You start with like a small, small step. And then any emotions that show up, you sort of greet them at the door. The practice is to feel first what it feels like in the body. And that's why, you know, embodiment practice is different than cognitively thinking through emotions and the stories that come up. Because actually emotion starts in the body. So emotion, if it's different for everyone, I can give you just me. When I feel an emotion like anxiety... For instance, I feel this very slight tightening in my chest. It's just a little, just a little, it just clicks in. The muscles get a little tighter, a little bit tighter in my throat, a little bit tighter in my shoulders. That's the first thing that happens. We're usually not paying attention. So then what happens is our brain goes, what does this mean? And it starts to try to make meaning out of what is happening. When you're doing this practice and you start to notice, oh, I feel you know i've started to map some of my emotions i know that anxiety for me feels like this little pressure here in my in my neck and my chest what is this what is this meaning right now and just listening and saying you're here for a reason you're not here to hurt me so what are you th- what are you here to tell me and just listening to that right and and you might find that at first you're not really sure and then it's fine you're like it's okay because i know you're still here for a reason i'm going to breathe into that what happens over time is you might start to notice patterns where actually it's this certain situation or this certain person that that is bringing on this emotion. Okay, now I have something I can action around, right? So it's that curious pause, I like to call it, you know, just like the, the pause of curiosity where you're saying, for a moment, I'm just gonna be curious about this instead of saying, what about this, you know, diving immediately, it's not like the, you know, inner child work isn't useful and like doing the deep work, but like sometimes we dive too fast where we're like already in this huge mental model around what this means that we feel anxious. And that work is important too. But I think alongside that, those curious pauses are really important because sometimes an emotion is coming from a very natural place where it's your intuition. It's your gut telling you something. And it's telling you this through a bit of tension or a, a drop in your heart rate or an increase in your heart rate, right? Like these are just these subtle signals similar to hunger, right? Like we don't, when we have a little pang, tiny pang of hunger comes in, we're not like, oh, this means something about me as a person. So I'm going to ignore this, right? Until I'm like screaming with hunger, right? We say like, oh, it's, it's a pang of hunger. My body is telling me something. So it's interesting that we've applied so many stories to this bit of tension. It's similar. It's just your body giving you little signals. I will say some of the emotions that you're feeling are coming from stories. And you can tease those apart in time. And I'm happy to kind of, I don't know, dive into like natural versus manufactured there. But we have these natural emotions coming up in the body all the time. And most of us are not listening to them. So many times what happens is we have emotions that we feel we're not paying attention. We start to make meaning out of them. And then we develop a manufactured emotion, which means that we've now associated something with this emotional state. So then it triggers it, right? So those two things are happening side by side. So for example, if I am walking down the street and a car comes and almost hits me and I dive out of the way, I will probably, my heart will race. Blood will drain from my brain. I'll feel tunnel vision. I'll actually have lo- less perception. My visual field, fear, right? Like that's what I have. natural. It's a natural emotion. It's not happening because of like something that happened in my childhood around cars. It's happening because I'm having a natural and very appropriate emotional response, which is actually saving my life. Because what fear is actually doing is helping me get out of the way. So it's like a a huge blessing to have fear. I always feel concerned when people say they want to live without fear altogether because I'm like, fear literally saves your life all the time. So I feel like that doesn't sound like a great plan. Um, Just FYI, I don't want you to be like, I love this car and like that wouldn't work out, right? Like you, it's not the best moment for that emotion. What happens though, is that then if we form an association with that happening, of like the world is unsafe and I never know when things are going to go wrong, then we might carry this memory of fear with us. And so the fears that come up might be more tied to the memory of that car, right? And and that association. So that can come up in our work as well, right? Like we can have these natural anxieties that are around Similar to hunger pains, we need to take a break. We need to go over something again. Anxiety actually helps us do well in life. That's one of its functions. It helps us to not just give so few fucks that we like (laughs) fail all of our tests and like don't can't like can't get a certification in anything because we're like I have no anxiety everything's fine so I'm not going to care so that little bit of anxiety helps you study it helps you assess it helps you say actually I should go back over this a second time maybe I need to edit some of this so anxiety is really helpful but if we feel it and we're not paying attention to it we can form a story around when I'm in these situations I feel anxious. My anxiety means that I am not good at this, right? Like, or whatever the story is. So I think that the the practice is curious pauses, paired with also understanding that sometimes it is coming from a story, and then it's like mindfully observing the story, rather than being inside of the story can you step outside of it and see like oh this is a story coming up for me right now um and and I I get that and I'm gonna you know honor honored that that's here.
0: I love that. So I'm curious then using the like car accident analogy or getting hit by a car analogy, I feel like the story walking away from that is all cars are dangerous, which like technically maybe they are. <laughs> or <laughs> not, It's not untrue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, <technically laughs> it's kind of But like walking outside <laughs> is dangerous. Would that be the story associated with that?
1: Yeah. Or it could be associated with people. People are idiots and they're out to get you all of the time. Right. Yeah. And you just never know. Right. Like, the life is life is unpredictable, which is true, but it means that, you know, I, I can never be safe in this world, right? No one's going to look out for me. All sorts of stories can form from this and it'll depend on your history, right? Because we're just forming mental models based on what we already knew before. So that process is constantly happening. And I, I think it, it, it's important to know that that's that process is not wrong. It, it is just, it's just what humans do. We are meaning making creatures and kind of thank God, because imagine if we didn't make meaning out of life, life would be pretty boring. And I'm pretty sure your podcast wouldn't exist no. because mm. like, we wouldn't have personal development at all because we wouldn't be actually trying to live a meaningful life because we would just be robots. <laughs> yep. So thank God we make meaning out of life. I mean, just, there's always a shadow side, right? So the shadow side to the fact that we get to live this beautiful, meaningful life, we also will sometimes make meaning to our detriment. And that's just part of it, right? Um, and so yeah, you greet that at the door too, when there's a story. It's like, hey, you're here too. Awesome. And welcome that in. Welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> you all welcome. Yeah. Because none of these things are you. You aren't your anxiety. You aren't your fear. You aren't the stories, right? So you're like, you're the observer of all of these things. I think that's kind of the root of mindfulness. You're, you are the loving observer of of your of your world and your life and your internal world. When you can step into that, things really shift. Uh, and, and so that was definitely the case with me. I found that the world did not burn to the ground if I focused more on being in flow. Actually, I got just as much done. I just actually enjoyed it a lot more. And I've found that with my clients as well and, and with the companies I've worked with, that it's it is very possible. And I think I just need to say it to people over and over again because I think it's it sometimes can feel hard to believe we are up against, like we were saying at the beginning, like a collective culture of hustle and burnout. And we, we need to kind of radically re- rethink
0: this. Yeah, that's huge. So what have you seen um, clients either let go of or accomplish or unlock with this type of work?
1: I know we were talking offline at one point about imposter syndrome and imposter syndrome comes up a lot. So I might, might kind of dive into that a little bit. Yes, Um, I'm
0: eager to talk about that (laughs) selfishly, but then also for everyone else too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So this, this is a really common one. People have when they're, um, especially leaders of anything, whether you're leading and forming a podcast or a company, or, um, you're leading a team, right? If you're working in more collaborative settings. I take a very radical stance towards these things um, because what is imposter syndrome actually? What is it if it's an emotion, right? Because I think even when we get to the words imposter syndrome, we're already out of story because the story is that there's a syndrome of being an imposter and a fraud, right? So you're already there. You, you're you, We need to back up. So I think the language we use towards things, sometimes we might already be ahead of ourselves. Um, and so this might be a bit radical, right? Because I think sometimes the approach to something like imposter syndrome would be everyone has it, it's normal, like, you know, you can work through it. And all those things are true. But I would do something a bit more radical here and say, like, what is it actually? Break it down into its parts. Like, be a scientist of this. Um, like, for you, if you feel it, what emotions are associated with it? Like, what comes up for you when you're feeling it?
0: Oh my God. I mean, the big headline for me is like, not good enough, like all the time. Okay. That's the story. The story of night being not good enough. Yeah. And then the emotion is like constant fear. (laughs) Yep. Just constant. Like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? How am I going to pay the bills? Why am I doing this? Am I good enough? I don't know. It's just like constant fear all everywhere I look. Okay. Great. So the
1: thing to lovingly welcome at the door isn't the like, screaming, not good enough voice that can wait outside for a minute. Hold, pause. Right? Like, hold, pa- pause, please. <laughs> what we want to welcome in first always is the wise one, which is the emotion, right? So like, what, what if the fear, what if just for a moment, we said that the fear is not bad? The fear might actually have something really important to share with me. What if I just let the fear in and asked it, "What are you? what are you actually saying to me right now? right? Like what, what is fear actually saying when I'm in a situation where I I'm having those, those thoughts and feelings around not being good enough. And, you know, you were saying like things around survival Mm -hmm. were coming up, right? Like safety, safety, beautiful, right? Like how beautiful is it that we have this signal in our body that constantly reorients us to to the fact that we love life and want to be here in this world and contribute to it. Right? Like it's here to say like, Hey, there are, there are risks here and those are real. Right. And those are always here. And that's probably why you said it's a constant thing. Like it feels like a constant in the background, right? Like, but is that bad? That's where this can really shift. Because I think that's the thing is we have this, well, if I'm constantly feeling like a low level of fear, I'm doing it wrong. Everyone's feeling a low level of fear. (laughs) Newsflash. (laughs) Because we're alive on this earth for a limited amount of time. And that's scary as fuck. It's so scary. (laughs) And we're not sure, you know, what will happen next. And the reality is life is uncertain. And there are always risks and that's scary. So the fear is welcome because the fear is just saying, "Hey, I like being alive and I like being able to feed myself and I like these things. I want to make sure I keep doing these things." So great, right? I want to make sure that you get to do the things you want to do in this world. So what is the fear actually doing? Reorienting you to what matters. It's reorienting you to you to the things you really want to do in the world. Usually fear can go hand in hand with a good amount of excitement, right? Because if we think like, usually excitement's like alongside, nearby, and they're actually, they ex- they're experienced in the body in very, very similar ways, probably for a reason. They're, they're states of arousal, right? They're states of feeling very heightened, right? And, and those states are coming from a place of there being things that you feel an urgency around to do in this world right? And, and a desire to do them. So what is imposter syndrome really? Telling us that we care deeply about getting something out into the world. The story we're telling ourselves is that we're not doing it fast enough, that we're not doing it the same as this person is doing it. That's the story. But underneath it is just a deep amount of care and love and values that are driving you. And you can reorient to those. It's the same with things like envy. You know, if we feel a feeling of envy towards someone, it's really just telling us what matters to us, right? Like it's like,
0: oh, we want that.
1: Yeah. So it's this beautiful compass back to you, but it only can be that if we are willing to feel the feeling, right? Because that's the loving messenger in all of it. That's the thing that you can hold in your, in your arms, in your body, literally, it's harder to hold the story, the story we mindfully observe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can let the story in, but not until we're lovingly holding the emotions, right? Like, those come in first. So I think we tend to do this backwards. We tend to do the, I need to analyze, I'm not good enough before we are like, holding our body and being with our body. It's kind of backwards to do that. Um, because even as we were having this conversation, I saw this shift of like, mm, like, you guys, you were like, taking that in of like, What if I held my fear instead of rejected it? Totally. Mm -hmm. And if we can shift into that, it's like, okay, well, now let's let the story in of like, I'm not good enough. Let's look at this. Let's reframe it. Let's think about it from different perspectives. But it's easier to do that when you're present with with you. You know, you're present with all the pieces of you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a huge reframe of imposter syndrome. It's like, no, you're just keeping me safe. And you're keeping me in a safe that you've, in a way that you've known your entire life. And like now we're exploring yeah. a new way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and and then you kind of look at another part of it too is, is would, would we want to live in a world where we don't feel any imposter syndrome? Mm. Would we want to be like, no, I'm good enough where I am? Mm. But then we wouldn't feel driven. Exactly. Right. So a little bit of imposter syndrome is, is it a bad thing? Right. So that's the curiosity to bring. Right. Because then it's sort of like, oh, actually, a little bit of imposter syndrome drives me, just like a little bit of anxiety drives me. Right. So a little bit of this done mindfully is actually something that keeps me, keeps me moving. Right. So if I never felt jealousy, for instance, that's something I just didn't experience. I would have fewer reference points to get inspired by. Right. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be moving in my life in the same way because I'd be having this like weird blobby neutral response to everything (laughs) happening around me. That's just not inspiring at all. It's not motivating. And so I, I think that's the other thing, too, is to say, is this really bad? Like, ask yourself that question because I think we can sometimes be like, imposter syndrome is normal, but bad. (laughs) Like, that's the thing we go to versus imposter syndrome or feeling like a fraud. I mean, because the syndrome thing makes it like we're somehow in a disease state. Right. (laughs) Having the, the thought that we are a fraud associated with a feeling of fear is really kind of bringing up a bit of, well, I'm not where I want to be yet, which means that I have. The places to go that I'm motivated to get to versus I'm good where I am. I don't ever have a feeling like I'm not there yet. We wouldn't climb the mountain if we were like, I don't need to get to the top, right? Like, you're not going to put one foot in front of the other. So, I would argue a little bit of that feeling is not actually a bad thing. And I know that that's the radical piece. That's the piece can be like, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, what if that's true? That changes a lot of things because I'm sitting here. Constantly thinking that something is
0: wrong with me when maybe that's not true. I just love the idea of a business culture that is created with that foundation because then it means that your employees, your team, your community, your clients get a little piece of that reframe of that just full self-acceptance.
1: When I'm working with teams that and I'm working with the leaders of those teams, that's the thing that I'm thinking about because that ripple effect is felt right? When you are showing up to work, even just with the embodiment practices we've talked about today, um, and you pause when you feel an emotion in your body and you take a breath and respond to someone on your team from a place of discernment kind of from a place of inner wisdom versus just plowing forward, you model to that person that it's okay for them to feel It's okay for them to pause. You create an embodied culture where whole groups are slowing down and that can make a big difference. A lot of mistakes are made in groupthink where we're just in this thinking mode together. No one's pausing. No one's getting into their bodies. No one's willing to speak up being able to model that and build that, it can really impact entire organizations. I love that.
0: I I love this work that you're doing. I, I'm <laughs> fully in. I'm fully on board. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that we're all leaders too. If this isn't just, I'm a little, you know, like I'm someone's assistant or I'm just a manager on this like pole or I'm climbing the corporate ladder, like whatever it is, like, we're all leaders in whatever aspect we are currently in.
1: Yeah. I think most of us are doing some form of leadership, right? Like we're we're leading something or we're wanting to, right? Um, I think there's there are people maybe are not in positions of leadership in their life, but it's because of their fears around what it would mean to lead something in their life. But I think we all have the potential to be a leader in our life. And yeah, there's a different way of doing it. So if you're in a place where you haven't done it yet, right, but you're thinking about doing it, I think there's ways of going about it. And you might bring a bit of intention to the beginning of it, right? Um, That's my hope is that more and more people founding companies or starting podcasts, starting YouTube channels, (laughs) whatever they're doing, the more that we can start with that little bit of intention, the more we start to shift the entire culture. And it really is that. Speaking about teams earlier, but this applies to just entire cultures. I think that's the other piece is to when you're doing it for yourself, but you're also in a way you're kind of doing it for the world. I do like to pan out that much and think about like, me pausing to take this breath at work before I, I speak with, you know, someone that reports to me. When I do that, I'm shifting something much larger than just the two of us. It's just a powerful way to think about it that, you know, we're part of a greater tapestry.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I love that. So I'm curious in your own, and this can be personal life, this can be work, like how do you straddle these two different worlds that you were talking about earlier of kind of the more spiritual side, this like yogic side that you, you know, you're, I didn't even know you were a yoga teacher. Of course you are like, it's just amazing. (laughs) It just makes sense. And then this more scientific, like really like research-based, data-driven world, like how do you, how do you bridge those two worlds together for yourself?
1: Yeah, I I get this question sometimes, and I I think to me it doesn't feel hard, but I can see how it is a process. I think the two work beautifully together, and they balance me because it's sort of too much of one thing. You know, it's like in Chinese philosophy, right? Like too much, too much yin, too much yang. You need a balance. My data driven science mind really helps me to take perspective and to stay curious those states of being really help me in my spiritual life I think spiritual life without that curiosity can become dogma can become following a path without knowing why you're following it or to listening to things that and overriding your own your own gut around things and um, so in an interesting way, they kind of blend together and having that scientific mindset isn't actually so different because it involves a lot of deep observation, so mindfulness. It involves never assuming you know the answer, so spiritual openness. And it involves being willing to make discoveries that are currently unknown, transcendence. So is science so different than spirituality? I actually feel sometimes that when I'm, when I'm in a scientific mode, it feels quite spiritual. Um, but at the same time, if you don't have the spiritual side of things, you can fall into being too focused on outcomes and not on process. Um, you can become too focused on what is known and not what is unknown. In that way, it's really important to, to bring in a sense of mystery into our life and allow that to coexist with a desire to understand the world. So I think the two of them together have been really beautiful, and I think more and more we're seeing spiritual practices be studied in scientific contexts. But I also think we're also seeing scientists develop spiritual practices. And i, I and so I, I think that that we're we're heading towards a much more balanced, a w- world with this. Um, so I, I hope that continues, but I think there's still room for improvement on both sides. When I am doing scientific work, always asking, am I willing to to not know the answer? And when I'm doing spiritual work, am I willing to question this? Those two questions, whether it's, you know, working with something that I'm like somewhat skeptic around. Like I am such a woo woo-dabbling skeptic. Like I can be like <laughs> working, with, I'll be I I can work with something like um what's a spiritual practice in my life? Like I bought a tarot deck recently. And like as I work with it, I'm like part of me is like the science of intuition is really powerful. And I can see this from a scientific angle. And another part of me is like, hmm and <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I'm shuffling a deck and who knows, like, how much meaning this has. Mm -hmm. And, like, are both of these perspectives perfectly fine? And can I just be curious about the card I pull? And then also, if the card I pull doesn't jive with me, can I also listen to my gut and say, actually, I'm going to listen to my gut instead of what just happened? Can I do both? 100%! And then everything becomes fun. And then I'm like, oh, I'm just having this beautiful practice in my life that doesn't have to mean so much that I override my own emotional wisdom. and doesn't have to mean so little that I don't dive into the mystery of being alive. Like that's a cool place to be. So I'm trying to practice that more and more in my life. And yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful journey.
0: I love that. What a cool perspective to see both spiritual and like the science research-based stuff as like a similar approach. Like I've never thought of that before. I really have thought of science as religion, but I've never really thought of like the approach is very similar, and the the questioning and the never jumping to a conclusion is so similar for both practices. So that's really cool. Well, I'm curious. Or I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but anything to add on ways that leaders can practice resilience? Yeah.
1: So resilience is a topic I love to jam on. You know, we've been talking a lot today around embodiment, and I think. One of the things we get wrong about resilience is that we think resilience is the thing that you do after something goes wrong. I get where this comes from. Because when we talk about resilience, we talk about how someone pulled themselves up after something went wrong, uh-huh. right? Like those were when stories <laughs> of resilience come up. Yep. She was so resilient because <laughs> she was in this car accident. Now she's back. Blah, blah, blah. Like we like that's how we talk about resilience. But that's not actually what resilience, that's not, resilience isn't built after something goes wrong. It's built every single day. It's a practice like yoga is a practice or, you know, taking a shower is a practice. Like these are things we do daily that build and cultivate resilience. So resilience is a practice. There's a couple things that come to mind. One is embodied practices. So having embodied practices in your life, I usually like to encourage people to use daily practices that get them into their body, whether that's breathing, breath work, more structured breathing, using practices of visualization, things that kind of really drop you into your inner space. Paired with a practice of reframing. This step one, step two is not so different than what we were talking about earlier with embodiment. Invite the emotion in first, then invite the thought in, go in that order. When you invite the thought in, the reframing of it can be really powerful. And it's called a growth mindset. So developing the ability to shift from this means something is wrong with me. To what can I learn from this? So that that shift into learning, uh, that shift into curiosity, will build resilience in your body. Because then, you know, as you kind of go through your day, little things will be happening. Maybe setbacks. You know, you have a tech issue on a, on a conference call, or you you're, you're a parent and your your child is. Seemingly having a tantrum that you cannot stop, and you feel like you're failing as a parent, and you have all these things happening. And so, the moments of resilience are to first feel those feelings in your body, and then what are the thoughts coming up around this? How can I reframe this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Um, What is this teaching me? So, these types of questions, when you start to ask those questions regularly, what will then happen is you build up the ability to feel and reframe. And then, when something big does happen, like you lose your job or there's a global fucking pandemic, you know, like when these things (laughs) happen, then you can actually take a pause and say, okay, I'm willing to feel this fear. I'm willing to feel what's coming up here. And I'm willing to think about like, what, what, how will I learn and grow from this? And this is something I'm, you know, we're recording this at a moment where the world is starting to open up. And I'm watching myself use these practices in my life around like, how am I actually growing from this? How, how can I bring intention to what just happened over the past year and come out of this even more intentional, even more, even more present, even more in line with my values. And, you know, that's called post-traumatic growth when we actually grow from the things that happen to us. And it's it's cultivated in those daily practices. I don't like to be prescriptive, because again, I'm not about five-step processes. I think they really limit us to, to think there's one way to do it, but I am into frameworks. And so I think it, cultivating a daily practice of feel and reframe, whatever that looks like, you know, whether that's a meditation and journaling practice, whether that's, you know, a breathwork practice followed by like loving consultation with a coach that you respect and care for, you know, on a regular basis, whatever it is, but having that practice in your life and sticking to that, knowing that you will build up a reservoir of resilience within you And there will be a day and a time when you'll fall back on it, and you'll you'll use it, and you'll watch yourself using it, and be like, "Oh, this is why. This is why (laughs) I show up to this every day." Um, So that's how. Yeah, that's one way you can cultivate resilience, and I think especially for leaders, it's it's very important because thinking that thinking that only some people are going to experience a major setback, it's just not true. It's not if. It's when, because being alive means there will be setbacks and curveballs because that is what life is, right? Life is not a predictable algorithm. (laughs) Um, And that's why it's so freaking beautiful because there's things, there's synchronicities and there's these magical moments and things we would never want to give up. But getting to have that, getting to have all that magic and synchronicity and all those random things falling into place and those kismet moments and meeting the love of your life when you least expected it or running into someone that becomes your best friend or having these things come together in this way that later you look back on and it just fills your heart with joy also means that life is going to be full of pandemics and political strife and things kind of going into chaos at moments we didn't expect and things randomly happening that don't seem to, to fit the story. And so if we're going to just welcome life in as it is, then we're just going to start any journey with like, yeah, lots of stuff is going to go wrong. Guess what? That's part of it. I'm going to have this practice in place to be resilient for every single step of the way.
0: I love that so much. (laughs) I'm just like hearing like, Oh, it's not just me that life is really, you know, hating on sometimes. Like it's everybody (laughs) and I can choose to like be ready to deal with it when it comes, or I can really wallow and feel like a victim and, and, you know, let those feelings take over. And it's like, mm, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to choose resilience. Like, yeah, I mean, it's
1: either wallow or the other. It's like people say swing to either side or the positive thinking mm, thing. Where right, we're just going to like right. positive think ourselves out of life being life, right? It <laughs> like, eventually it <somehow> up. patches <laughs> catches up to you, right? Yeah. And So that's, what, yeah. So either one of these, like the victim mentality or the spiritual bypassing, like both of these do not get you to a place of being present in the life that you're actually living, which is random and beautiful and is going to be a ride. So let's let's arrive for it. Like let's let's get on the ride. (laughs) I'm
0: ready. (laughs) I love it. yeah. Oh it's so inspiring. I'm using my reservoirs right now, not because I've had a big setback, but just because I'm like spread so thin and it's it works. Like There's, you know, I have a process for literally handling the shit that's coming my way, handling what could have been triggers in the past. It's amazing. Amazing. And so I'm I'm walking out of like a launch and a big um, anniversary event with just like energy and excitement and like so much pride and joy. These are words I never thought even two weeks ago I would be saying. (laughs)
1: So it feels I really love
0: good. I love hearing that.
1: Yeah. I
0: love hearing that. Yeah. Oh, Asha, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I know that, that you know, some of the things I shared might be novel, or even, you know, I, I know some of the topics I talk about ruffle feathers sometimes, of like, you know, allowing these emotions to exist within us, or even questioning things as maybe being a good for you. I know that these are concepts that can feel challenging, they might kind of they might trigger you, that's okay, if they do. But there is, you know, a process to start. So if you are listening to this, and you're like, you know, I I do want to start a process of feeling and and reframing, I do like to offer if you want to offer it, everyone happy to share a like a visualization practice and journaling prompts that I like to share with people who are just trying to figure out like, how do I tap into this flow that you're talking about? Because I know it it can sound very abstract if you've been in like the rule-based living for a while and you're kind of like feel like you're a constant checklist um, and and having trouble tapping in and celebrating your life like you just did with your launch. So happy to share that. Um I definitely think there's not one practice. This is just one. Practice out there um, to do visualization work and to do journaling work, two practices I've relied on. But I think in general, just to start tapping into the places in your life where you have experienced these deeper states of like embodied wisdom and flow. So I do have a meditation where I actually guide you to find some of those moments of embodied flow and tap into them, feel them in your body. What did it feel like? And then actually kind of start to kind of talk yourself through how do I actually access this day to day? So if that's of interest, I um, definitely want to offer that as a gift. And just in general, just knowing that this is a practice, it's not something you you do and become but something you show up to every single day. So being in your body, I think sometimes people will be like, I'm not a very embodied person or I'm not very good at this. Um, And I just encourage everyone to be kind to yourself and know that it's not something you are or aren't. It's just something that you choose and you can choose to do it right now. And if you fall off, you can choose to do it in the next
0: minute. <laughs> <laughs> next time. So yeah. So it's
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cheers again.
0: <laughs> I, just, um, I have a friend who's a marathoner, and she she actually was she came to wellness best, and we were talking about like resilience was coming up, and she was like, "Yeah, sometimes you you run or you you have a run, and it sucks, and like sometimes you have a run, and it's great, and you just have to remember that like." they're not all going to be great. But like the times that are shitty, you can't just be like, well, that sucks. Now I'm not running anymore. Like you have to keep running. And I'm like, I am not a runner. This is not a PSA for marathons. Please know that. But just know that like sometimes a journal session isn't going to be the like the most mind blowing, mind popping, like connecting like moment. Like it can be just, just sometimes it's a chore and sometimes it's like something I have to do. And then sometimes I skip it altogether. So all the
1: and that's, okay too, and that's right? okay
0: too. I'm doing me. <laughs> I love that. Um, So, for anyone that's interested in this meditation and journal prompts, this is amazing. I love this. Where can we find those? I will also link those below if it's a link. Yes. Yeah, I'll I'll share it. Yeah, if you want to put it in the show notes, I can share it. Perfect. That makes the most sense. Okay, great. So, we'll link it below. If you're looking at the show notes on the website, they will also be up there and available there. And if anyone is interested in following along um, your social media or just getting to learn kind of what your offerings are, where can we find you?
1: Sure. So I'm uh, Dr. Dr. Asha Bauer on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you can also go to my website at ashabauer.com. And Bauer is spelled B-A-U-E-R. Perfect. I love it.
0: Thank you so much, Asha. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm just really grateful that you came on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. You never know. And of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. Until next week, visit sarahcohan.com, that's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com to find other podcast episodes, and you can find Lit AF on Instagram at It's Me, Sarah Cohan, and you can also find me on Clubhouse. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, Lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.